What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. It's good to see you. Um, I want to echo Heather's um, just shout out to everybody in the college uh, for all the work that you've put in, your commitment, your love, your dedication. We see you and we appreciate it. I am super excited to do this introduction after Bettina Love's powerful push to all of us to pursue and embody abolitionist teaching. Ana Banderas is the perfect follow-up as she is doing that work on the ground every day here in Eastside Union High School District, both as a high school teacher and as a lead in consulting. With the Masters of Arts in Education and over 12 years of field experience, Anna is an expert in restoring students' wounded relationships with learning through an anti-racist lens. Anna has created liberatory spaces for students in her K-12 classrooms, as well as for student teachers she has supported. From teacher, teaching literacy in indigenous communities to supervising student teachers in their credential programs, her praxis has made a tangible and observable difference in the lives of her students. Although she's currently a humanities educator, Anna wants everybody to know that she is secretly a STEMI. Um, and in the work I've seen her engage in at Overfelt High School in Eastside Union High School District, she demonstrates a clarity, strength, passion, and power that's truly inspiring as she leads and supports the development of a, of a leadership team for racial justice and abolition, creating ways of transforming school culture, policy, and practice. She is about this work. So thank you for being who you are, for doing what you do, and for joining us today, Ana. I'm handing it over to you. Thank you, Mr. Pizarro. Thank you for the words. I feel all pumped up and ready to go. I'm not really a speaker. I'm a teacher. So part of me wants to be like, hello, everybody. I'm so glad to see you and do like all kind of fun greetings. But you guys are adults, so you're not as fun to greet. So <laughs> um, with that being said, I also got a name that it's really hard to talk to upcoming teachers in a pandemic because part of me is like, good luck. I mean, it's going to be really fun. I have no idea what it's like to be a new teacher in a pandemic. I barely know what it's like to be a, an, an old teacher during a pandemic. So on the one hand, I really want to talk about like, you know, some, some soft words around, you know, how, how much like solidarity I have with you all and, and just what it, what it really is going to mean for you all to teach in a pandemic. And on the other hand, I also remember that you all have my babies. Because if you are entering into the public school um, field, you are going to be engaging with a majority population of students of color. My cousins, my nephews, my nieces, my sisters, my brothers, my siblings, my family. So when I remember that piece, I feel like it's appropriate for me to remind you that even though we are in a pandemic, uh, we are still in a field that has been used as a tool for colonialism schooling is still a colonial project, whether it's online or on campus. And why that's important for us to continue to remind you of is because there is no neutral. There's no, I just wanna teach. No, you don't get to just teach. You have to teach in a state, in a field that is racialized, that is weaponized, that has been oppressive and that continues to be oppressive. So how you teach, whom you teach, what you teach, is really what's going to determine whether you are a complicit participant in this colonial tool or whether you are going to be one of the shifters and making this a liberatory tool. Because we, we, we like to talk about school as a great equalizer and school as liberator, right? Um, yet we know systemically that's not the case. 
So individually, we create the system and therefore we have to really decide on an individual level, what are we going to do with this colonial project that we are walking into? Um, I feel like the hardest thing, when I have both taught, been a department chair, um, also coached young teachers and worked in um, credential programs and, and really like doing observations and coaching teachers one-on-one, -on -one. What, I, what I feel is the hardest thing to get through is that, that feeling and that belief that teaching is just a neutral act, that I just wanna teach really good math. I just wanna teach really good science. I, I see a lot of heads shaking because I feel like that might be a, a, a frustration in common that we have as liberatory educators. And the truth is that I, I just really want to emphasize that that's the main point of my keynote. There is no such thing. You don't have that privilege of just teaching your content as if there is not a history that you are inheriting. You are inheriting a history of oppression, whether you like it or not. And denying that puts you in that part of complicity. So we can't, we don't have time for that. We need you to get it. We need you to get that it's not neutral. We need you to come in hard for our students, hard for liberation, hard for social justice. So that's what we're gonna talk about today is how do we do that? How do we do that as white folks? And how do we do that as critical educators of color? Because it's, it's a different work. We're not all in it together. We really aren't. We're all in it together, but we're not in it in the same way. And so, as critical educators of color and as allies and as folks committed to social and racial justice, um, we have to remember what has been named as the purpose of education historically. What is education for? What is schooling for? And although the, the answer has sort of evolved and become more modernized, the values have always been pretty white supremacist colonial values. From the very beginning, when schooling was meant to Christianize indigenous folks, to when it became compulsory as a democracy, preparation for democracy, when we knew that really only white men who owned property were able to vote, but yet we still wanted to educate everyone for the sake of democracy, right? The ironic, um, that, the ironic statement to when we said, you know what, school is, is, to, is to create morality, a school as a moral tool. Then it, you know, it shifted to, well, school should support the assimilation process of migrants so that they can come here and assimilate and really like learn this country and learn how to be good Americans. To what it currently is now, school as a, as a tool for financial success. When we know that's not true, we know that's not true for our kids, not completely, not the way that we sell it. All of those are colonial values, values of performance, of assimilation, of accepting whiteness, of not challenging anything, of learning by hearing and repeating and being corrected on your, whether your repetition was accurate or not. That is the history of schooling, at least from my people's perspective. That is how we have experienced schooling. 
as a silencing space in which you don't actually exist, in which as a student of color, particularly a migrant undocumented young woman who barely spoke any English, I would just come into school and like kind of pretend like kind of know that this is this experience isn't really real. And, and when I get to go home, that's when I can really be myself. That's when I can actually begin to exist again, even though I spent the majority of my time in school. So all that to say what? There's no neutral. There is no neutral. And I just want to say that as a plea because the faster we get it, the faster we get on the right side of history and on the right side of the work that, we, that so desperately needs to get done. Um, what is education for? What should it be for? You know, obviously that, that question is going to be answered differently by different people. But if you ask an abolitionist, anti-racist, critical educator of color, we're going to tell you that the purpose of your calling as a teacher is to create all the conditions necessary by any means necessary for students to find their liberation and empowerment, at least in your class, at least in your class. Because you can't control what you can't control, but you, in your class, you can do everything necessary to create all the conditions that you can to make sure that me, that my daughter, that my son, right, that my child is, is at least able to exercise the liberation and freedom that all children already have from the beginning that we only kill in them later as they grow up because all children know how to be free from the very beginning and then they learn how to be unfree. We teach them that. So how do we help them to reclaim that liberation that is already inside of them? What do you need to do in your classroom to make sure that those children don't forget how to be free because they already are born knowing that? We only teach enslavement. We don't need to teach freedom. We don't need to provide freedom. We just need to let it happen and not get in the way of that. Um, and, and how we do that, that's what we're gonna talk about today. I know I keep saying we're gonna talk about it, but I don't wanna give you a solution if I feel like you don't understand that there is a problem. And that's literally the hardest thing for me to, to explain to most of my students who are who my student teachers is that there is a problem. I have to convince you all that there is a problem, but there is one. So um, how, do we, how do we start the work of being anti-racist critical educators? Well, I would say the first thing that we need to do is we need to really have a commitment to a personal healing, a way, how do you heal your, your racial trauma to make sure that you're preventing harm in your classroom? And I think that white folks, um, there's an assumption that white folks don't have racial trauma because you're not receivers of racism but you do have racial trauma. All of us have racial trauma in this country. Man, do we know the history of this country? Yes, there's racial trauma because we have ancestry of enslavement, of either being enslaved or being enslavers. We have all of, all of us have that history in us. We all um, have racial trauma that we need to heal. We have superiority complexes, inferiority complexes. We have undue privileges. We have not enough privileges. When there is no equity, when there is no justice for anyone, everyone's off balance. Everyone is not okay spiritually. All of us need that healing. So I would say start there. Dr. Bettina Love actually has a, an article and 
if you can Google it and find it and read it even tonight, like that's a great start. Um, it's called Why Teachers Need Anti-Racist Therapy. And it's a really good article and it talks about how that's literally the starting point because every work that we do always starts with us. I would say the second thing is that we really need to commit to having a transformative justice approach to our classroom management, our, our culture building. I use classroom management just for easy terms. But yeah, we need, to, we need to learn transformative justice. And if you don't know what that is, there's a lot of resources online. Um, but that's a really good place to start is learn some transformative justice. How do, you, how do you create a space in a culture in which students want to listen to you and want to learn with you? And if you don't have that, how do you respond in a way that doesn't cause harm? Because a lot of us come in, our classroom management sucks, our students respond like it sucks, and then we punish them because it sucks. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm not saying everybody, I'm just saying some of us, including me, man, I had to learn, you know, my first year was garbage, but I really, I really graduated thinking I had it together. And I was coming in like, you know, thinking like, I'm this Mexican teacher, I'm cool, I'm going to get the respect. Nah, fam, I had to learn that I had to earn that. And there was a lot of times when I made mistakes. And the first thing that we want to do when we make mistakes is we want to punish our students. And that is how we end up having a 6.8 graduation rate, uh, a suspension rate on black students and a 0.6% suspension rate on white students. Right? So we have to really be intentional that we have to learn transformative justice approaches. Why? Because conflict is going to come in your classroom. It doesn't matter your racial positionality. It doesn't matter what you do, how cool you are. You're going to have conflict. And the transformative justice approach is really the best way to, to, to address that. And you know, regardless of where the conflict is coming from. So I really recommend that um, uh, in addition to, to the article and to really beginning that racial healing in, in that trauma that we all have as people who live in this country. Um, I would say third, you know, um, and, 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 you know, whether you did this in your, in your education program, I would also say, come in, if you're, if you're a white educator who's committed to this work, who doesn't want to be neutral, meaning on the side of oppression, I would say, make it your commitment to uplift and really support your, your, your BIPOC colleagues, your, your Black Indigenous people of color colleagues, because it's always us who have to say it. It's always us who have to name it. It's always us who have to change it. It's always us who have to heal. It's always us. It's us. And why? Why we Obviously, we're more invested because it's our people, right? It's our people, the receivers of oppression. So obviously, we, we are the most invested, but we shouldn't be because we didn't cause this. We didn't cause racism. We didn't, we didn't create this condition for ourselves. Okay, we were enslaved, we were kidnapped, we were uh, committed genocide against, right? We were displaced. That happened to us. So it is the right thing to do for us to really support, for white folks to really support our work so that we're not tired, so that we don't get burned out and leave the, the profession, right? So that we're not getting fired and pushed out as I have been many times, you know, part of, part of, it's part of being an abolitionist anti-racist educator for me has been to understand that I'll never be my employer's favorite. I'm never going to get the, per the, the perks that come with being, you know, um, my principal's right-hand man. That's never going to happen for me. So help me, you know, help, help us to do that. Put, put yourself on the line. You know, how many times my white colleagues will come after the meeting is over and say, you know, Anna, that was so good that you said that. 
And you know, you you might you might run the risk of meeting someone like me and like some of my colleagues who will look at you and say, well, you should have said that in public, you know? So it's, it's really important that when you see your colleagues doing the work that you step up. And with that being said, um, I wanna give you a norm of step back, step up. And what that looks like is, we usually say that in discussion, like if you talk a lot, don't talk so much. But it's really much deeper than that. White folks really need to step back in power and step up in labor, okay? Because a lot of times when we wanna be allies, we wanna step up so we like move, we push the critical voices to the side and then we become the spokesperson of anti-racist work. And we're at the front and now we're leading the, the, you know, the anti-racist um, spaces at the end of school. And then we're getting the stipend, right? And then we putting that on our resume. No, you step back in power and you step up in labor. How do you support others to do what they need to do? And that's a hard balance. I don't want to be too hard on y'all because that is a really hard balance and we'll get it right. It's better for you to start doing it and doing it wrong and eventually learning how to do it right than for you never to start. But that is, that is the ultimate goal that we want to be really mindful of that. And with that being said, you have to also be mindful of the spaces that you're taking up. Um, you know, are you the most qualified to lead the English learner department? I'm not saying you're not, I'm not saying white people can't, but is that you? Should that be you? And if you are the most qualified, can you train? Can you support? Can you teach? Can you coach a, an emerging critical educator of color that's coming up under you to take that place out of your hands because that place isn't where you are best fitted? Do you have that much reflectiveness to do that? Are you really about getting rid of uh, white privilege or, or do you just want to wear the Black Lives Matter t-shirt and claim that you're an anti-racist educator because you have that on your wall? Being an ally means you get you get rid of the power that shouldn't belong to you, right? Um, are you are you qualified to teach Black and Brown students? Now, if you are, great. And if you're not, how do you become that? Don't practice on our students. There's a lot of white children in white schools that desperately need white anti-racist allies because that's where it's most lacking. Most anti-racist white allies want to teach in the hood. But who's teaching the privileged white kids to be anti-racist? I can't do that the way that you can do that. And you can't teach my kids the way that I can teach my kids. I'm better at it if I'm, if I'm qualified. And you're better at it if you're qualified. Let's just name it what it is. But can we do this work together? So I'm not saying that there is no space for white educators in black and brown schools. But I am saying that I am inviting you to really, if, you're, if your work is really about transformation, I'm really inviting you to consider the need that, that white privileged schools have for anti-racist educators. I've seen it happen before. I've seen one, one teacher and oh my gosh, the work was so freaking powerful to see these white kids like getting their whole world blown. They've never been exposed to anti-racist concepts before. So that's just something to think about. And then finally, you know, 
My, my critical educators of color, I would say in your anti-racist work that you're already doing, if you are doing it, obviously this is for my critical educators of color. I, I have to say, you know, make sure that you have those safe affinity spaces. Um, I would recommend that you resist giving away your free labor. I have this, this, this thing where I called like getting our passions pimped when, when um, administrators pimp our passion for our students by getting free labor out of us. So, you know, if you're really going to engage in extra work, you really have to think about if it's actually making a difference directly to your people and, and, what, and what's in it for you as well. And then pulling in our white allies. Hey, I was, I was tasked with this. Can you support? Like maybe I lead, maybe I am see the BSU, but maybe you fundraise for the, B, for the BSU. How do we share that labor? Step up in power, step back in labor, right? That's the equity trick. And then last, yo, are we checking our internal stuff? Because just because we're of color does not mean we do not enact racism, patriarchy, ho you know, homophobia, heteronormativity, transphobia, right? All of those things. We have a lot of internal work to do. So, why this is so important right now in the pandemic when it, it's always been important, but why is this such an amazing freaking time to do this is because we have a chance to change what's normal just by the fact that everything's crazy, right? Normal is ableist, normal is transphobic, normal is racist, normal is white supremacy, normal is like inequitable. But right now, nothing, nothing has to be the same. We can really push for, for what we want it to be. We can really make that push. Please, young upcoming teachers, like you have so much power and opportunity to demand that teaching just looks different by teaching differently. Because all those old administrators, you know, that want to do things in the old way, a lot of, a lot of those guys and, and those women and those people, they're, they're open to something new finally. I've seen it. I've seen administrators who are so close to old ideas, to new ideas, being really open to them now. And also we have a lot of really cool administrators now. You know, It's not like back in the day where it was like the principal was always a problem. Sometimes it's the principal pushing for, for the, the anti-racist strategies and it's the teachers resisting it, right? So man, all of us can do it. All of us have that opportunity and I just commend you. I know I'm very scoldy, but like I told you, I'm not a speaker, I'm a teacher. So this is my teacher voice. This is what I have to share with you all. And I just wanna be authentic about what it means to me as a teacher coach to, to celebrate upcoming teachers knowing that there's so much work, but you all got this. Um, yeah. Um, my, my, my closing note would, would, would be to say, don't walk into the space, don't walk into the space expecting yourself to be perfect. Walk into the space expecting yourself to have integrity, to really do it in integrity. And it'll, it'll get right. I, I cried my first year almost every day because I sucked. <laughs> and I really did suck. <laughs> I wasn't that great. But I did it with integrity and eventually you get better, but do it, do it right. My white folks do it right. My folks of color, because we just really need you. And y'all, y'all really are the future of education. Thank you so much.